This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Welcome to Church of the Harvest. We're a, we're a family of Christ followers, and we've recognized that, um, that we're stronger together than we are individually, right? And so um, we've chosen to link arms and, and to uh, work together to fulfill uh, God's purposes in the earth uh, today. We, we meet throughout the week in small groups throughout the community, but we love Sundays when our community groups come together and worship together corporately. How many of you love it, being able to come together with family and worship the Lord? And so um, at Harvest, um, as I always say, we're just a small expression of the body of Christ. We, we love God, and because we love God, we, we love people. How many of you know our God is all about people? We love people and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. If you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? Our vision is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. As we are currently, we've been discussing this year, uh, the identity and the responsibility of, uh, of those in the family of God. Who are those family of God? People who are Christ followers, who surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, who have, who have repented and turned from their sin, making Jesus lord of their life. And I, I know I say this every week, but guys, I feel like we need to be reminded all the time that, that even, even as Zach said this morning, the world is a challenging place to live. And, and by the way, that's not something new. <laughs> the world's always been a challenging place. Amen? But here's the thing. We are not of this world. And we have been given God's word, which never fails. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't have to be shaken when this world is shaken. We are able to stand firm on the solid rock of Jesus, right? Our theme, as I told you guys, we kind of started last week. Our theme is expect the unexpected. How of you know that God has never done things in the way that humanity expected? He's never done with things the way humanity expected him to do them. Now, he's always kept his word, right? But many times we have preconceptions, preconceived ideas of how and when his word will be accomplished. As I mentioned last week, the Jews, the children of God, had been waiting on the Messiah for a very long time. But Jesus was very unexpected. He didn't come the way they thought he would. He didn't look the way they thought he'd look, right? Expect the unexpected. So I told you guys that in a couple of weeks we'll be starting a series on Christmas. This is really a Christmas theme. Um, we're going we're gonna to go into that in about two weeks. Um, and we'll talk about all the blessings uh, that came with, uh, with the arrival of Jesus into the world. But, uh, but as, as Pastor Shauna said, I, I want to take a little bit different direction here for a couple of weeks as we prepare to receive our annual Christmas gift offering as we, as we always do. And we're subtitling this Giving with Expectation. How many of you know that we can give to God with expectation? People... As I told you last week, people in the ancient world were probably stunned to learn that this Jesus that they're hearing about was not only God, but that he was utterly selfless and loving and generous. This was totally contrary to, to the way they had they'd been raised to serve all these other gods, all, all these Roman and Greek gods, but they were all utterly selfish. They had selfish motives in everything that they did. And now they're hearing about this Jesus who went so far as to lay down his life for them. And it was, had to have been mind-boggling to them. Last week we talked about a nameless man who 
untied his donkey, right, when he heard that the Lord needed them. His donkey and the colt. He untied them and he put them in the hands of disciples because why? The Lord needed them. And I gave you four points. And those four points were when it comes to kingdom generosity, God, the creator of the universe who has everything, asks us for something. Secondly, that Jesus rides in on the generosity of his people. Man, we pray for our, 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 our region, our city, our region to be saved, for, to, you know, to come to Jesus. But guys, he rides in on your back, the back of your generosity, being willing to give of yourself, to be a witness, to give, whatever that may be. Thirdly, I told you that generosity writes you into the story of God's purposes in the earth. We would have never heard about this guy who untied his donkey. We don't even know his name. All we know is he said yes to Jesus. We don't know anything much about Joseph of Arimathea, but when Jesus needed a tomb, he gave him one, right? We, through our generosity, through being a, making ourselves available and saying yes, we get to be a part of God's purposes in the earth today. And the last thing I told you was that in generosity, you always receive back more than you give. Now, that's not our motivation for giving, but it is a promise of God. And we're going to talk about that a little further today. But like I said last week, when we start talking about giving and generosity, people start getting on nervous and start squirming. I'm glad to see more people here this week than there were last week. I didn't scare you off. That's awesome. I get to try again. But giving is not a popular subject. But people who feel this way have really been deceived and bought into a lie. Because if we understood, if we, if we had the proper perspective, we understood Father's heart and motivation in this topic, it would excite us. We'd be filled with joy at the opportunity to give to the Lord, just like we see in Scripture. And let me tell you that blessing, being generous, being a blessing is not a chore and an obligation. It's absolutely crazy what we get to be a part of when we choose to say yes to God. We choose to be generous and we choose to be obedient. It's amazing how he uses us and what we get to be a part of. But if you choose to see being generous as a chore and an obligation, that is all it will ever be to you. And you won't reap the incredible benefits that come with being generous like our Father. So our focus last week was the generosity of God toward us and what we get to be a part of and, um, and, and the fact that through our own generosity and our obedience to him, we can be a part of what he's doing. We can be a huge blessing to others and we store up treasure in heaven. This is huge. And look at this. I just, this isn't even really part. I just read this a couple days ago. Hebrews 13, 16, the Passion Translation says, we will show mercy to the poor and not miss an opportunity to do acts of kindness for others. Why? Because for these are the true sacrifices that delight God's heart. Have you want to be a delight to God's heart, to Father's heart? And here's the thing, and, and some of you may need to write this down, but I want you to understand it. A spirit of true generosity reflects who the Father is to you. A spirit of true generosity reflects to the world around you, to the people around you, who the Father is to you. I've been going back through the book, The Blessed Life. How many of you read the book, The the Blessed Life. What a great book. I think we have copies of it here. Uh, guys, if you haven't read it, you need to get The Blessed Life of Pastor Robert Morris. Um, I, I've been going back through that over the last couple of weeks. And I encourage you to read if you haven't done so before. Or, or, uh, or maybe, maybe you need to read it again. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you fresh revelations as we go into this holiday uh, season. But 
But there was one part in particular as I was going through it, um, uh, end of last week, beginning of this week, uh, that I, I wanted to kind of continue on uh, in talking about understanding further generosity in the life of the believer. And if I didn't mention, mention this before, um, you can uh, follow along. I, we're going to be mainly in John chapter 12 today if you want to go to John chapter 12. Um, if you have a Bible with you. If not, you can follow along on your, on your mobile device. There's a QR code on chairs in front of you. You can scan that and it'll bring up the notes. And, uh, and you can certainly follow along from there. But let me say this too before I really get going here. Guys, um, actually, something else that really Zach said, um, our church family is so generous. So I, 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 and I mean that with all my heart. We are not part of the dismal statistics that you read about the body of Christ in America today. It's, it's sad every time, that, every time that I see those. Uh, so when it comes to giving and, and, and generosity in the body of Christ. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I think there's several reasons for that. I think one of them is that we're not afraid to talk about it. Uh, we believe in, 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 in we, we, we believe the word from beginning to end, and we talk about it all, and we follow it. And, and you know, we, we don't avoid topics that, that, you know, we may feel are uncomfortable at times. Let me also say another reason I think that this is such a generous church family is because, guys, this is not to boast at all, but, but the leaders in this church are incredibly generous givers, incredibly generous. And many of you have caught that vision as well. You've gotten this revelation. You've been faithful and God-honoring when it comes to giving. You guys are doing it. And because of that, um, I'm proud, and, and we are truly blessed to be a blessing. I, I wish we could share all the lives that you guys touch, and obviously we, we can't tell everything, and, and some people, you know, don't, don't want their stories told, frankly. Um, you know, it's, it's more private matters, but you guys touch so many lives through your giving, even just right here through the church family. And, and I was thinking, too, that you know, on, on a certain scale, we're, we're a relatively small uh, church family, but it's amazing the things that we're able to do that the other, other churches our size are not able to. And that's simply a reflection of, of your faithfulness and, and your generosity. And, uh, and I, I, I'm certainly appreciative of, of, appreciative of that. And I know the Lord is too. And I, I'm believing for the biggest Christmas gift offering ever, guys. Um, I, I like to say the last couple of years, you guys have given incredibly. We've been able to build up our benevolence fund and been able to be a blessing like never before. But even more importantly, like, like Pastor Shauna said, I'm believing some of you are going to really catch the revelation of the importance of the tithe and giving, giving extravagantly and giving generously. And we'll talk about that further on. But John chapter 12, you guys there? You guys ready to go with that? We're going to go into John chapter 12, and I'm just going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through 6. Very, very... Uh, very um, familiar passage here. I'm going to read. I'm going to read mainly from the English Standard Version this year. I, I, this year, today, I believe that um, I, I really like the way um, it was translated there. So, um, so just follow along with me. Verse one: Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We all remember Lazarus. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, whom was about to, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what? A thief. And he was in charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. So, 
when we look at this, we've got to understand a couple things. Firstly, guys, the Bible is very clear. There were people constantly giving in to Jesus' ministry. There, there were people that followed him to give. We, I know some of the old movies, man, Jesus is all, I mean, he's all scrawny and ribs all showing. And, you know, he was like, he was always in great need. This poor, Jesus was not poor, guys. Now, he wasn't going along around flaunting riches, but I guarantee you he was completely taken care of. He did not have one need in his life. And the Bible is, I can show you multiple places in Scripture where there were people going, they were following him, and they were giving to him all the time. So much so that Judas was put in charge of the money back. He had an offering box that people were constantly giving into. Jesus' disciples were okay. All right? For some reason, we, we, we just can't imagine this Jesus who's not this poor, scrawny guy. That's, that's not who Jesus was. Promise you. Okay? So Judas is in charge of the money box. And the Bible says, Jesus said, that, that, or the Bible says that he was a thief and that he would steal from it. He would rob the offering box. So we have Mary, who, this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, right? We have Mary who's giving in this passage. She's given this huge, extravagant gift, which we'll, we'll talk about in just a minute about how extravagant this was. And then we got Judas getting all upset, getting his underpants all in a wad. Over what Mary is doing here, right? What's happening? What's happening is we are seeing both of their hearts in a moment. We see a heart of self selflessness and we see a heart of selfishness, selflessness and selfishness. And what revealed their hearts? Generosity. Giving. It's what revealed where their hearts, both of them, their hearts were at. And so I'm going to give you three points and um, you can just follow along with me here. Three points I want to make about generosity. Number one, selfishness is the enemy of generosity. I know it sounds like a given, but I want, to, I want to talk about this for just a minute. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Now, guys, God is always generous, right? He is generous in all his ways. Our adversary, the enemy, is always selfish, right? Now, we were born into a fallen world under the curse, Right? Thus, we were born what? Selfish. We were born into this world selfish. But we were born again. We were born generous. Right? Yes, we're born again into the kingdom of God. A son, a daughter of him, of the Father. We're born generous. But we still have a flesh. Right? And our flesh still struggles sometimes with being self-centered. That's why we're talking about this today, right? Selfish is not who we are as Christ followers. We have to renew our minds. That's why we get into the Word of God. We dig into these things and we see what His Word says. We don't go by what we feel. We go by what His Word says. Now, usually the first word a child uses, the first word a child learns is what? The word no. Right? Easiest word probably in the human language. It's one of the first words they learn. No. Now, no is not always a bad word, is it? Some of us need to learn to say no sometimes to some things. But I would argue that in the instance of a child who first learns that word, it's probably selfish. No, I don't want to go to bed. No, I don't want to take a bath. No, I don't want to eat that. I want candy. No, I don't want that toy. I want my brother's toy. Right? No, I don't want to pick up after myself. 
No, 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 no. They'd love to say no. Many times the next word they learn is mine. Mine, 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 right? Sometimes it seems like it's the only word they know. Remember Finding Nemo? Mine, 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 the birds. This child is usually probably trying to get something from another child that they don't want to share. And so they start screaming, mine, right? Mine. It's funny. But isn't it interesting that this is the word that God uses to describe the tithe? He says, it's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. Is God being selfish? (laughs) No. God's not selfish. But he's letting us know, know in certain terms, that's mine. And here's the crazy thing about this story in John chapter 12. The statement is made, why wasn't this expensive ointment sold and given to the poor? Sounds like a great statement. Who made it? Judas. Sounds like something people would say today, doesn't it? Sounds like it would be a good thing. We're like, yeah, I know what you mean. Gosh, that's so extravagant. That's, that's a pity. That's a shame. It's the words of Judas, the betrayer. Our society is quick to condemn extravagance today. Here's the funny thing. We serve an extravagant God. And I would present to you something that Pastor Robert Morris says is, really, it's just preconceived extravagance. It's, it's perceived extravagance. Because you know what extravagance is today? It's one that has more than you. Right? That neighborhood is so extravagant. I don't know why they need a house that big. Until you get blessed with a raise. And you're like, praise the Lord. And we can upgrade. We need a little more room. Next thing you know, you're living in that neighborhood. And you're pointing a finger at the next neighborhood down the road. Going, that is so extravagant. Why in the world do they need? We, we are perfect where we're at. Yeah. We always point to somebody else. So that we don't have to point to ourselves. Point at ourselves. Reality is. The one among us here today with the smallest, most humble home is probably looked down on and considered extravagant by many people in the world. It's how we perceive things, right? It's a matter of perspective. And I, guys, I, I personally, I, I hate it when people speak out, especially Christians speak out against those who are blessed. It's so funny because somebody will say, will you pray for me? I'm just praying, believing for blessing and increase. And we're like, yes, hallelujah. And we pray for him. We speak increase and blessing of their life. And we're all with them until they get blessed too much. And then we start judging. It, dude, it happens all the time. Why? Because they've got more than we do now. They don't spend it the way we think they should. They, anyway. Here's the deal. We aren't called to judge somebody even based on where they live or what they drive. We don't know what they've sacrificed, what they've gone through, or what they're giving. Many of the wealthiest people I know are the most extravagant givers that I've ever met. They give a far higher percentage away than I ever have. 
But because we have less, we stand off to the side, shaking our head and saying, that is so extravagant, so wasteful, so excessive. It's just sad. We sit back and we judge how many people could they feed if they just, if they just downsized. If they just sold that and gave it to the poor. And what we're doing is repeating the words of Judas, the betrayer. At first glance, the words seem caring, but the Bible straight up tells us that he cared nothing about the poor. Here's the reality, guys. <laughs> if you cared that much about the poor, you wouldn't be trying to get somebody else to downsize and sell their house to give to the poor. You'd be downsizing, selling your house and giving to the poor. Right? We're so quick to point the finger at what somebody else should be doing, but in reality... We don't know what they are doing, and really it just diverts the conversation away from whether we are generous or selfish ourselves. And isn't it also crazy, I, I, before I go into the next point, something I thought of. Isn't it crazy that Judas was in charge of the offering box? <laughs> People are constantly giving to the, to the ministry of Jesus, and Judas is in charge of it all. And who put Judas in that position? Jesus. Jesus didn't already know he was a thief. A few chapters earlier, Jesus said, I appointed you 12, talking about the disciples, and he said, and one of you is a devil. He appointed the one he called a devil to be in charge of the ministry finances. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Was he trying to tempt Judas? No, God doesn't tempt. James tells us that, right? James tells us that, right? No. He wasn't trying to set him up to fail. But he was given an opportunity to pass a test. Judas could make a different choice, a different decision. God doesn't tempt us. But 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that he provides a way out every time we're tempted. Judas had a choice. Jesus gave it to him. He made his own decision. And isn't it interesting in that in John 12, it says that Judas was a thief. And Malachi clearly says, when we don't tithe, we're robbing God. That's what it says, right? So Judas was stealing from what was given to God. Now, we have those boxes in the back. Zach so eloquently likes to call it receptacles. They're what? <laughs> um, we got these boxes in the back, and I'll bet there's nobody here that would go back there and rip one of those boxes open and steal the money out that's been given to God. But let me ask you a question. Is there a difference when we hold back and we keep and we hang on to what is God's instead of giving it? Or are we robbing God just like Judas? The ability to love like God loves means that we're obedient and generous with everything that we have. Our time, our talent, our treasure. First thing I mentioned was selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Number two, kingdom generosity is extravagant. Kingdom generosity is extravagant. Now listen, God is an extravagantly Generous God. I think we've accomplished that. I mean, the gift of Jesus 
was wildly extravagant. The most wildly extravagant gift that could ever be given, right? And there's lots of examples of generosity in the Bible. We see King David. King David gave to the building, the construction of the temple, uh, what in today's currency would be approximately $21 billion. Now, I don't care who you are today. Um, what's his name? Mr. Uh, Tesla. Elon Musk. $200 billion. $21 billion is still a lot of money to him. That's extravagant, right? This is what David gave. Now, who else gave generously? We talked about it last week. The widow with two mites. I looked it up. I actually wasn't sure. I looked it up this week. You know how much a mite is? You know what it's worth today? What it, it, it would be the equivalent of? An eighth of a penny. She gave two mites, and, and, and Jesus said that um, while everybody else was sticking their nose up at it, he said that she gave all that she had, her whole livelihood. That is just as extravagant, more so extravagant than, than David giving a gift worth $21 billion. Why? Because it's not about the amount. It never has been. It's about our heart and the, our attitude behind the amount. So Mary gives... But she pours out this ointment worth 300 denarii. Denarii is the plural of denarius, right? A denarius, people say, well, how much is a denarius? Denarius was considered a day's wage back then. Well, what was that worth? Well, it, it changed. It's kind, kind of like the minimum wage. It was considered a day's wage, a denarius. She gave 300 denarii. So, 300 denarii would have been about a year's worth of work. It was considered a year's work. It was 300 days of work in a year. Now, no matter how much, who you are in this room or how much you make, is a year's of your wage a lot? Doesn't matter if you make $25,000 or $125,000 or $525,000. Doesn't matter. Whatever you bring in, that's a huge amount. To give away a, a year's wage, that's big. And that's what she did. Would it be extravagant to pour it out on somebody's feet? <laughs> yes, certainly would. She didn't know it, but Jesus actually says that he, she was anointing him for his burial. And they weren't able to do it from the time when he died before they buried him. They weren't able to anoint him before they buried him. They, they, the ladies actually go back on Sunday, don't they, to anoint him. But brother's gone. He's, he's done checked out of the inn, right? He, he, he's gone. But so this moment, a year's worth of wage, she's using to anoint his body for his death and burial. So Mary gave a lot. But do you think you can ever give enough to impress God? You think you can give, you think you can impress God by how much you give? It's never amount, about the amount, guys. We're talking about our Father who paves his streets with gold. Now, people in our world today would look at that and go, that's so ridiculous. You pave your streets in gold. That's so extravagant. But guys, here's the thing. It's not because he's excessive. It's not because he's trying to flaunt things. It's not because he's trying to show off. It's just that abundant. It's like rock. The foundations of the New Jerusalem, it said, are precious stones. And the gates are made of pearl. He's not trying to flaunt and show off. 
there's just that much. You've heard the saying, um, you, you, you can't take anything to heaven but people. You've heard of that. Why would you want to take anything that you get on this earth to heaven? Why? Gold is in such abundance that it's valued like asphalt. What can you bring from this earth that would be of any value? You can't give anything that would impress them. How many of you know somebody in your life that's hard to buy gifts for? You just, you're like, they kind of seem like they've got it all. What, you know, what, what, would, what would they be impressed with? Like, you know. and, but could you imagine trying to buy something in this natural world that would impress God? Like, oh, I don't have one of those. They were all sold out. How did you give me one? Right? It's never going to happen. But what does impress God? Well, we read in Hebrews just a minute ago. 2 Corinthians 8.5 says, But they first gave themselves to the Lord. Guys, it's not about an amount. The Bible says the Lord rejoices over you. Rejoice means to jump and twirl about. That's what the Father does when he thinks of you. He wants you. It's not about an amount. It's about our hearts. And here's the deal, too. You can't say that he has your heart if he doesn't have your money as well. Because Jesus said it. Matthew 6, 21. What did he say? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When God really gets a hold of your heart, you know it because he gets a hold of your treasure too. Um, there's three levels of giving I want to mention a little bit. If you guys have read The Blessed Life, you've seen this. There's three levels of giving that most every gift in Scripture falls under one of these three areas. It's a tithe, it's an offering, or it's an extravagant gift or an extravagant offering. And here's what I want to mention for a minute. Guys, most Christians, most believers today never get past the very first level. You know how many Christians, you know how many Christians gave a tithe, gave their tithe in the year 2015? And guys, when I say tithe, the word tithe simply means what? It means tenth. How many people actually gave a tenth of their increase? And and by the way, undesignated. I'm not talking about sponsoring a kid for kids camp. I'm not talking about giving toward a building fund. I'm talking about gave, undesignated, gave their tithe. It was estimated to be 5 to 7% of believers. That means 93 to 95% of believers never got to the very first level. And I mentioned that. Actually, we talked about it a little bit in community group on, on Wednesday night. Guys, I, I don't believe that you can designate your tithe. Because the Bible says the tithe, he says it's mine. The tithe belongs to the Lord. So we don't go sponsor a kid for kids camp and go, oh, I gave my tithe. No, it's, that's not the tithe. That, that, that's, that's an offering, right? We generally want to designate our tithe because we want control. But it's not ours to control. He says, just give back to me what is mine. I remember... Um, Actually, Dad probably remembers this. I remember a number, a lot of years ago, actually. Um, I remember a lady coming in. She had come into a, a significant amount of money suddenly, and she came in and wanted to write Dad a check, a gift. You remember that? Uh, just wanted to bless him. 
with a nice size check. Those pastors are going to say, amen, praise the Lord. But he knew that she didn't tithe. And he told her, he said, I don't feel right taking something that belongs to God. And if I remember correctly, she was not real happy about that. And I don't think she gave anything at all, if I remember correctly. But that meant a lot to me. I was like, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, where am I at? Um, oh, I, so 93 to 95% of believers never get to the very first level of giving. Now, here's the good news. Once you get to the first level, the second and third levels come pretty easy after that. It's kind of like driving a stick shift. How many of you remember first gear? Lord have mercy, first gear. What was the deal with first gear? <laughs> that, you, you had it 80% down once you learned to take off in first gear, right? Once you learn that, second gear, oh, that's pretty easy. You thought it was going to be like first. No. Madison Aaron taught them how to drive a stick. How many times did I have that? We, we drove around this building, this warehouse, on multiple days, over and over again. Now I just want you to take off and stop in first. So I should take off in first. All right, stop. Do it again. We did that over and over, you know, and you're, the first two times, you're like, dum, 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 you know, trying to. And, but once you get first, everything else starts coming easy after that, right? It actually gets progressively easier, really, as you go. It's the same thing, guys. The tithe, once you are obedient and you begin to give the tithe, it makes it much easier to give more. Why? Because giving the tithe breaks the curse and opens the windows of heaven over your life. But I think, I think that we'll all be asked at times to give an extravagant gift to God. And, you know, an extravagant offering. And I told you guys uh, last week of a few times the Lord had moved on our hearts to, to give gifts that were more, you know, extravagant. And we see many of these in Scripture, though. So I mentioned David. David's gift was, you know, estimated to be worth about $21 billion. And then we had the, the widow's mites, the two mites. Um, we mentioned last week the two donkeys. This, this may have been a big gift for him. It, it might have been. We, we don't know his life. We don't know anything else about him. But they measured their wealth many times in their cattle, in their livestock and such. That, those may have been the only two donkeys he had. Solomon offered a thousand sacrifices to the Lord. Abraham offered his son. Sometimes the Lord's going to ask you to do something. You're going to go, are you sure, Lord? I need confirmation. Just tell me again and again. Okay. Right. But our father led the way. He gave his own son. He gave the most extravagant gift. When God gives you the opportunity to give extravagantly, just do it, guys. Whether it's within your church family, whether it's a family member to bless somebody at work, whatever it may be, man, do it. Be extravagant. You can't go wrong by giving extravagantly. You'll always remember that moment and the joy and the blessing that came from that and being obedient to that. So selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Kingdom generosity is extravagant. And number three, similar to last week, generosity is always rewarded. I want to take this a step further than we did last week. And so the story that we're reading is uh, John 12, as we're reading about Mary anointing Jesus' feet. But it's also found in, uh, in Matthew and Mark. And in Mark 14, 9, he says, this is how Jesus responds. After Judas says what he does, Jesus responds and said, says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel, the good news, is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We talked last week about being written into the story. Mary will always be remembered 
for her gift to God. She got a reward. She was written into the story. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, this will be told. But how many of you know she didn't come to get a reward? She didn't come to Jesus to get a reward. She came to give, to pour herself out for him. And why was Judas so upset about this? Judas is upset because he's a thief. And he wanted some of this. That was a lot of money. Instead of it going in the offering box, it was poured out in a way that he didn't understand. He was like, this is ridiculous. What a waste. He wanted a piece of that. He was greedy. Why did Mary give such an extravagant gift? Well, if you look at it, it was actually two months earlier, Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. How many of you know that generosity comes from gratitude? Grateful people or generous people? If one of your family members was raised from the dead, wouldn't you be grateful? Might change the way you even look at, and, 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 and give to God. And remember, too, that if you've been born again, you've been raised from the dead. Yeah. Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that he has made us alive. We were buried and we were raised with him to walk in the newness of life. But she didn't come to be rewarded. However, God rewarded her. See, selfishness, selfishness is when you give and you think God owes you something. Generosity is when you give and you expect nothing in return. But God rewards generously. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him, right? For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and look at this, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him. How is God described? A rewarder. It's, it's actually, if you, if you look up the word is translated rewarder, it's a, it's a Greek word, and it's only found this one time in the New Testament, and it means to pay what is due. But it's actually a little different because it, it's a Greek word. The root of this Greek word means to pay what is due. But there's actually a little added to this word that adds another syllable, and it means to reward with extravagance. It means to give far beyond that which would be due. It'd be like this. Say you're down here at Kroger, and in the parking lot, you find a wallet. And you open it up, and there's some ID there and some cards, and you see 50 bucks cash. But you're like, you know what? We need to find the owner. So you go back inside, and you tell somebody, and they're like, oh, there's somebody down there looking for it. And you go down there, and you said, here, sir, here's, I, I found your wallet. You recognize them from the ID. You give them their wallet back. And they're so excited. They express their gratitude by saying, thank you so much. And then they hand you $5,000. You would look at this like, you know, the 50 kind of would have been cool. But $5,000? What, what here is remotely worth 5000 bucks? Nothing. The reality is they're not blessing what we returned. They're not blessing the amount 
what they're doing. They're rewarding your honesty and integrity. They're rewarding your heart, right? And that's what God does every time. It's not about the amount. It's not the amount that gets rewarded. It's the attitude. God always rewards. It's something he, it's not something he does. It's who he is, right? God can't tell a lie. Why? Because he is truth. He, he can't not reward you. If I can use a double negative. It's impossible for him to not reward you. He is a rewarder. He rewards us based on the position of our heart, and it affects our entire life. Guys, you can give cheerfully, and you can give with expectation because we serve a generous father. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Kingdom generosity is extravagant, and generosity is always rewarded. We will take it a step further and conclude next week. Guys, I want you to be praying as we approach uh, giving our Christmas gift offering here in the next week or two. Um, Firstly, first and foremost, guys, if you, have not, if you have not gotten the concept of the tithe and giving, this is what, this, the tithe is, is the start. This is what opens up the window of blessing in your life. This is where God can begin to bless you from this point. And then as Pastor Sean has said, encourage some of you, you need to step out beyond that. God's encouraging you to, he's encouraged you to step beyond that, step out of your comfort zone a little bit and give to, begin to give above and beyond. And this is truly where the blessing and the reward starts as we are generous and obedient to him. But guys, our Christmas gift offering, I appreciate all that you guys give every year and, and, um, and we know that you're going to do it again. And uh, as, as I said last week, um, in our church family, there were a lot of folks that struggled over the last last. 18 months or so. A lot of people that lost jobs and had hours cut and, you know, all kinds of things that happened. Um, got sick, you know, in the midst of things and couldn't work, whatever it may be. And um, we have never in the history of the church been able to be a blessing like we've been in the last two years. And uh, that's because of your faithfulness and your generosity. And so we're asking you to please prayerfully consider as, uh, as we move forward over the next week, ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me give? To, to build up this benevolence fund, to, to, to help our, our, our single parents within the church and, and, to, and to give toward the, the facilities here and, and maintenance here at, uh, at Harvest. And uh, guys, just know that God's going God's gonna to be able to do so much more with it in his hands than you ever could in your own, right? Man, a $50 gift in our hands is one thing. When we place it in the hands of Jesus, it's immeasurable. So let me have you guys stand up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as, uh, as we close out. And um, I'm just going to ask you guys, just bow your heads for just a moment. Bow your heads with me. And uh, it could be that you're here and the very th- first thing you need to do is you need to receive the generosity of God. Our Father was so generous that when he saw us in our sin, he saw us owing a debt so big that we could never repay it in a thousand lifetimes. When he looked down and he saw us utterly bankrupt and lost, he willingly gave his son. 
He sent Jesus to pay the price. Jesus stepped up to the plate, man. He said, I love him. I love him. And I'll do it. He said yes to the Father. And he went in your place. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus lived a perfect life. And it was his choice to take your sin, your guilt, your shame. It was his choice to take it on himself. And he didn't just take those things. He, we call it the great exchange. Everything that Jesus deserved, he gave to us. And all the junk that we had accumulated, that we were born under and we had accumulated, he took it all. And he took it to the grave, laying down his life, paying the price for it. And he declared us clean. But death couldn't hold him. And we know that three days later, those ladies showed up to anoint his body. He was gone. And when you receive Jesus, when you accept him as that perfect gift, the Bible says that in the same way you died with him, your past died with him, your sin died with him, all that junk, it died with him. And when he rose, you rose, a new creation in Christ. And when he was seated in heavenly places, if you receive him, if you surrendered his lordship, you're seated in heavenly places with him. And you're part of the family of God. And your inheritance are the promises of God. It's, it's not just about heaven. Heaven's going to be great one day. But that inheritance is yours today if you say yes to Jesus. What do you have to do? The Bible says that we repent. We turn from our old way of living. We turn from our sin. And we say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. And we declare him to be Lord of our life. Believe that God raised him from the dead. And we choose to serve him from this day forward. It's not a one-time event, guys. Every day our life declares that Jesus is Lord. If that's you, and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, or maybe you have before, but you recognize that he's not really sitting on the throne of your heart right now. You're living for your own selfish wants and desires. And you're ready to admit that you're utterly lost without him. <laughs> then this is your moment. We're going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it along with me. You can say it in your own words. It's between you and the Father. It's between you and God. All you've got to do is mean it with all your heart. And the Bible says the old things are passed away, and all things become new. And it doesn't matter what you encounter in this life. You don't have to be shaken. You can know the creator of the universe has your hand. And he's walking you through. That's you. Every head bowed. Actually, if, that's you, if there's somebody here, I want you to raise your hand. If you would say, I need to surrender my heart to Jesus today. Anybody in this place? Raise your hand up high in the air, boldly. Say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Okay. I got one. Anybody else? 
You may be watching online. This is the most important moment of your life. It doesn't matter if you're watching today or tomorrow or next year. The Holy Spirit is there right now and he's drawing you. And if you're ready to say yes with Jesus, we can't see your hand, but God does. Pray this with us and know that everything changes. Just pray something like this. Just say, Heavenly Father, I recognize I am lost and alone without you. I'm dead in my sin. I'm utterly bankrupt. And there's nothing I can do. And you saw me in this position. And you declared you loved me. And you did the only thing that could be done. You sent your son to pay the price for my mess-ups, for my sin, for the things that separated me from you. And so today, I repent. I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. I'm not just sorry, I turn away from it and I choose to go the other direction. I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to do things his way. Jesus, I thank you for the price that you paid. I follow you. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And today I declare that you are Lord of my life. I'm not turning back. I'm not even glancing back. I'm looking to you and I'm following you. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.